Hello Almost 30, <laughs> come to YouTube to see my bare ass face. <laughs> <laughs> all, all the intros upcoming are to be bare faced. I like it. I like it. We, we, I'm making a statement. She took off her jacket. I'm making a statement so it's that, a different I'm, <laughs> that I'm happy to be seen with no makeup on. Everyone know I'm confident in my own skin <laughs> and incredibly lazy. That's actually the truth. Yeah, the man. laziness factor is a real one. When it comes to my hair lately, I have the utmost lazy. Like the other day I was like, why does it look like underneath? You know, when mm -hmm. your hair is so greasy mm -hmm. that it just, every strand has its own lane. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It was disgusting. My, but our hey. cats, this is a weird thing. Our cat, one of our cats is obsessed with my hair. Mm. I don't know if it feels like a mom cat. <laughs> So, if I'm you know those mom cats you know, with their manes, you know, you know, you know your cats, and you're the mom cat, so you act <laughs> like the mom cat. So I was like, whenever you sit down, it comes and like plays with my hair, whatever, like pussyfoots in my hair. Uh -huh. So in the middle of the night, it always comes up to me, and Justin has to like move my hair over on the pillow so it goes, and then it comes in this huge freaking knot. So I wake up with my hair in knots from the cats. It's so it's my life. It's very sexy. You're a true cat mom, baby. I'm a true true life cat mom. All. <laughs> My whole camera roll is our cats. Really? Everything they do. We're like, oh my God, it's like in a drawer. <laughs> we're like, that's so cute. We're like, oh, it's in a basket. Oh my God. <laughs> They're like, look at it blinking at us. Wow, that's so cute. But the one thing about animals, you guys probably know, but I adopted our cats from Stray Cat Alliance here in Los Angeles, um, who I'm obsessed with. They're their number one donator this summer. And I, when the cat was on top of me in the middle of the night, it woke me up in the middle of the night, but it was laying on top of me. And I was thinking a huge benefit to animals is that they really help increase your vibration. Mm. I was like, I was literally loving it so much. And I was like, oh, I'm really thankful that I have this prompt to bring me in like a love vibration more often. Totally. You know, because normally you just kind of walk around, you're doing your thing. But every time you see an animal, you love and yes. you feel love. And it really just gives you a great opportunity to feel more love in your life all the time. When I've gone to see Tim Braun, there's usually a dog that comes yes. in and he always says that animals are just the purest form of love when you're in a reading and they come in. Really? So I, I can imagine that just here on our An animal day. ghost came in? Yeah, spirit oh. of an animal. Wow. Mm -hmm. I know. Sweet. They, they're in the same heaven as humans, if oh, you're wondering. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's, you know, all dogs go to heaven. We actually watched Soul last night. Have you seen it? Yeah. What'd you think? I I thought it was really sweet. I thought it was really sweet. I actually, I loved the characters, especially. Uh -huh. I wanted more though. Totally. <laughs> I totally agree. Actually. I just wanted more. Like I felt like there was, could have been a whole other hour of just, I don't know, like more of like the quantum part of yeah, it. Yeah. It was know. just kind of anticlimactic. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I just was kind of like, oh. And like, I kind of appreciated that the bad guy in quotes wasn't that nefarious. Like you yeah. never felt really threatened by the accountant. Yes. By the accountant. But yeah, Justin was like, I was like, what would you rate that? He's like 9.8. <laughs> I was like, that was, wow. it just kind of fell flat for me. I don't know why. I just never trust any Disney Pixar movies. Because I'm like, what is the, the hidden message here? Yeah. So the whole time I'm kind of like side-eyeing it. But I just found, but the, the things that I really loved about it is they actually did a lot of spiritual research into different religions and different belief systems to sort of come up with the ideas that they had about the afterlife, about, um, you know, going into the void, about souls waiting to go to earth and things like that. So I felt like it was a pretty profound in that sense. Mm-hmm. But I also was thinking, is this for kids? 
Would kids understand? I mean, kids are so smart, but would kids understand any of this? And like, where was the kids part besides like the cat? I think we'd be surprised, but I agree. I think it's like yeah. higher level. I wonder if they talk to people with like near-death experiences because I yes. think a lot of people, I was watching Surviving Death on Netflix, that the um, near-death experience episode, and I just feel like the accounts were so similar just in terms of like, not the life review, but you mm-hmm. know, just kind of having um, like a non-judgmental view of like moments in your life that were really yes impactful. Oh, um, and it, I was just thinking too, I'm like, if the soul would die, I'm like, you, you kind of lose ego attachment. So you probably wouldn't give a shit if you played with the band that night. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like your soul's like, oh my God, I'm infinitely totally. possible. Everything is all one. And I yeah. still need to play with the band. We can't have Krista watch these we movies. We can't, honestly. I ruin everything. <laughs> Literally, if you want to, you know what's hilarious? The soul wouldn't give a shit. I'm like, yeah, dude, you guys, FYI, the real thing. I, I do that to Justin all the time. I'm like, see, the thing about this is, and he's like, dude, just watch the fucking movie. But, Nine out of five, but it's actually five. enjoyable. It was enjoyable to watch. Yeah. Um, I do. Overall. I, I do love. Welcome to the critics corner. Yeah. <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes. I, I love like the Pixar detail. I think totally. it's really fun to watch. Yeah. Especially in New York. Yeah. New York was dope to see in that sort mm-hmm. of vibe. I it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. It was really cool. Yeah. Um, we were inspired by today's episode. We were kind of like reminiscing oh about. So we have our episode with Amy Chan today, who wrote the Breakup Boot Camp. It's all on breakups, baby. So good. Um, we were thinking about like our worst or most memorable breakups. Most memorable breakup. What's yours? Um. You know, so I have one, but I was also thinking about something related to breakups. And I was thinking about how much easier, because I thought about my first breakup ever, which my first real breakup was someone I dated. Um, I was a freshman and he was a senior. And then sophomore year, he went to college. And so we like still faked like we were dating. And when we broke up, it was like, have the phone call and then you hang up. And then I like went and like, to a cornfield. I don't know what I did, mm-hmm. but I just thought about like now you get off the phone, there's potential to text. There's potential to look at them on Instagram. There's potential to look at them on Facebook. You know what I mean? There's a oh, yeah. hundred ways in which you're kind of sucked back into that like vortex of yeah. the person and how much, I don't know if it was easier, but it really helped you cut the cords quicker because you hung up the phone. And the only thing that happened was like, maybe they called you back. Yes. Or maybe they came over or maybe, you know, they did something like that. So I'm like, man, it would be so hard to like actually go through a real breakup right now, especially if they were, especially with all the methods and modes of communication. There's so many ways to stalk. Yeah. So many. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my worst breakup though, <laughs> I'm trying to think. It doesn't have to be worse, but like just, you know. I feel like in high school, I was just, I don't know what I was doing. I don't even know what I was doing or who I was dating in high school, but I think I was, it was always just cheating or who's cheating on who. And I thought, I think the worst one was my freshman year of college. I was dating someone that was still in high school, actually. And I was, he dumped me. What the heck? And That's I was not supposed to happen. Fucking gutted. Because <laughs> I think he had this idea of what college was, which it wasn't, where he thought it was like truly like Van Wilder. 
And everyone was like partying and like wearing whipped cream bikinis all the time. And I was not that. And so, yeah. So he was insecure about it or? Definitely insecure about it. Then also too, I was was truly so enmeshed. I would wake up every morning and if he didn't call me on the way to school, I was going to die. I was going (laughs) to die. I actually was like, my life was ending. And so- I was just so hard on him mm-hmm. in that way where it was like, he had to feed me, like feed me love and validation and energy. And when we broke up, it's like I lost that supply. And I was so, I was so depressed for like six months, I think. Mm. I lost like 25 pounds. I didn't leave my bed. I was just listening to like landslide and crying, <laughs> dashboard confessional. As you do. As you do, just crying. Mm. But it was probably the only period in my life that I've actually let myself feel as oh, much yeah. as I did. I felt so fucking much in that time period. And I think I felt for myself for a lot of different reasons because that year was just pretty challenging outside of that. So that was definitely like my hardest. And yeah, because I think that was my first love too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that first love. My my senior year of high school boyfriend, we did the same dance of like mm-hmm. going to college you mm-hmm. think you kind of have that mature conversation of like, well, we'll just see, you know, totally. like we're, to- we're going to two different schools in two different cities. And like, I love you, but like, you know, we'll just see. And then you get to college and you have both the freedom and the temptation, but then also this like thought about what they're doing. Totally. And so you want to like latch on, but then you like also want to like, just let your freak flag frap fly and fry Um, and do keg stands (laughs) but we just we just kind of let that go so that wasn't my most memorable I think you guys know my most memorable and I don't want to tell the story for the 80th time but I think one that stands out too which connects to who I'm with now eight years ago when Sean and I were just kind of like seeing each other on and off um we had like an email rapport so on top of like texting and stuff like we would email sometimes And I sent him this email um, because at the time I just felt like he was so sure. And I was like, "Mm, this is way too much. I don't know. I wasn't sure of myself um, and many other things. And so I sent him an email with really the intention to just kind of like stiff arm him. Because I was like, I don't want to hurt him anymore. And like, yeah, this might like hurt him, but like, I just don't want to... I don't want to be in this like back and forth anymore. So I was like, hey, um, I, I wish I remembered everything I said, but basically the sentiment was, you know, I'm just not attracted to you like that. He's never forgotten it to I'm this day. sure. Enjoy that <laughs> We're one. We're still in therapy over that one. Yeah, literally. Because uh, to say you're not attracted to someone, yeah, it hits on so many different levels. A hundred percent. And it wasn't true. Mm-hmm. But I said that knowing that that would kind of be the thing that mm-hmm. would cut. Mm-hmm. And I think at the time too, like I wasn't really attracted to his intensity, his mm-hmm. clarity. Like I wanted someone that was a little more, you know, unstable, not very <laughs> forthright with me. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So that kind of like that breakup of sorts was one that, 
I kind of felt the repercussions of throughout the years when we would mm-hmm. still like hang out and be together. Um, but thankfully we never did the thing, which I've done many times before with people of going back and sleeping with them. Oh yeah. <laughs> that thing. Yeah. Which I've done many times. Oh yeah. I did that with my first one. He was fucking blue ass. And I did that. <laughs> Literally was so dumb. And you like- I was dating this like angel afterwards and I- cheated on him with the first boyfriend and it was, and I got caught. It's you just know. the perfect scene in the movie. I, like you go back. <laughs> the the guy that I, so the first guy I was dating was in college and I bought him this like bangles hat. This is so fucking dumb. <laughs> and I then met my then boyfriend at the time and he saw the hat in the back was like, who's that hat for? And I was like, oh fuck, it's for my dad. And then he happened to be walking <laughs> into Great Clips and the guy I gave the hat to was walking out wearing the hat. And so it was like proven that I was cheating. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. And he called me. Oh my God. He'll never, he was so (laughs) mad. And I was like, oh my God, when you get caught for that, it is. Isn't it funny how torture, it becomes such an obvious tell, like with with, with the proof. Yes. Where it's like, how did that just happen? That he Honestly, walked out, we walked in, the cat Angels. That. Angels. <laughs> angels were supporting, were supporting him and in, in the truth because that was just Whoa. so dumb. Ugh, puke. Yeah, dude. Breakups are, it, it's really, really hard though. And I think your point of just like feeling it is a huge part of moving forward. I think yeah. I spent a lot of time just kind of numbing out and not actually taking one responsibility for, yes. for like my part in some mm-hmm. things, whether it was, cheating or whether it was just not being forthright about how I felt. Yes. It's hard though to be forthright about how you feel. Yes. I've seen all my karma too for cheating, FYI. So I cheated quite a bit and I fucking got all my karma right back. <laughs> I remember at the end of my last cycle of karma for my cheating, I was like, this is done. So you were, were cheated on is uh, what you're saying. A hundred yeah. zillion times yeah. in the craziest ways and the most horrifying ways. So it was, it was always like, I just... It was like my pattern. That was kind of a my huge first lesson was like the cheating things. I had mm-hmm. in my family as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and this episode's perfect for people that are going through breakups and really just like talk so much about relationship in general. I felt like I learned so much about the brain and what is happening in the brain and the chemical body when we're going through breakups. Mm-hmm. And I felt like Amy just did such a beautiful job. So I'm really excited about sharing this one with you guys. She's so interesting and so cool. And I love that this really came from a place of true um, desire to create the thing that she wished there was in the world when she was going through a really hard time. Yeah, she she hit that rock bottom when she um, discovered that her boyfriend, and I believe, they were engaged or they were close to engagement, had cheated on her. So and she just found herself in such a such a really heartbroken, low, dark time. Um, but yeah, this is this is so much centered around healing and yeah, the science of really rewiring your heart so that you can when, you know, when it's right and when you're ready, be in a relationship and have that sense of self mm-hmm. again. Um, but the book is Breakup Boot Camp, The Science of Rewiring Your Heart. And I just love her. Yeah. I just had a blast. I can't She's wait to meet so her sweet. Person. And you know, before this interview, I asked our community just to share some of the questions that they wanted to ask or talk about during this conversation. So you guys will probably hear a lot of your questions uh, littered throughout just because I wanted to make sure that we're supporting you in the best way possible for this. Um, and if you know someone that's going through a breakup or, you know, 
needs to go through a break. <laughs> you can say that as a sign. We all like, have hey, one. babe, we're ready to support you once you're ready to leave him. Um, <clears throat> just send this to a friend. I think this is a perfect one to, you know, have in conversation with someone that's going through something like this. I find these conversations and information to be incredibly helpful to really understand like the science, the body, and then steps to heal from a breakup. And before we get into this episode, just for anyone who is maybe going through a breakup or newly single or have been single for a while, I'm going to be hosting a women's circle on February 25th. Um, And this is really the kickoff to the sacredness of being single program enrollment. So this will be a six-month program starting on March 8th. Um, I'm really excited to just take, you know, an intimate group through um, so much of what has helped me to really honor that season of my life yes. and get to a place where you crushed it. It wasn't something that like I wanted to rush through in order to get in the relationship or get the thing that I wanted. So I'm, I'm excited. Re- yeah, I'm really, really excited. So um, you can join that women's circle for free. Look out in your email. It'll be on social. Um, invite friends. And I can't wait to can't wait to see you. Yeah, that's going to be really powerful. So, you know, the episode Lindsay did on sacredness of being single is just so profound because it really flips the belief and idea that when you're alone, um, you know, you should should be spending most of your time trying to find that other. And, you know, you really crushed those six years of being single. Thank you so much. And you were just (laughs) crushing at the end. So this program, I think, is incredibly (laughs) unique. And I'm really excited just to support women and see them... um, People just reclaim their the power that they have in this time. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen, baby. Thank you all for listening. If this episode resonates with you, please, please, please share with a friend. It means the world to us. And enjoy. Connect with us on Instagram. Visit our new snazzy our website. Our new snazzy, you guys, the site cost us a pretty penny. So yeah, so freaking look click, at click, it. Click, click, <laughs> clicky, th- clicky, clicky, clicky. Almost30.com. We have our shop up there so you can get your courses and programs, downloadables, all the good stuff. Enjoy. You know, Lindsay and I were always looking for an opportunity to talk about something like this, like breakups, especially being so specific. And I know so many women of our community, especially during 2020 are really going through it. So, you know, it's yeah. just perfect timing, perfect audience. And and we're just grateful you're here. Yay. Yeah. The timing's great. I mean, divorce rates are at about 34% increase right now right. and it's wow. going to get worse just because uh, places are on lockdown. So people can't actually file for divorce. So all of the other services that help people to get ready for divorce and things like that have all skyrocketed. Um, yeah. It's wow. <laughs> wow. I know this conversation will be super comforting to a lot of people out there, um, especially who have been kind of rocked and are experienced some like relationship earthquakes during this last year. So great. Ready to go. Okay. All right. Congrats on the new book, by the way. Yes. I know, it's, I know so it's really proud. easy to write a book. So I'm sure you just were <laughs> relaxing for years, just hanging out by the beach, just doing a little, little notepad every once in a while. So yes, huge congrats. Um, <laughs> I'd love you. to, you know, when Lindsay and I were talking about this and and reading the book, it was so interesting just hearing your story. And I think a lot of us have gone through breakups. Almost maybe all of us listening have gone through a breakup at some point in our life or have witnessed one. But what made you so passionate about the breakup and passionate about really digging into this as like part of your life's work? Yeah. 
I mean, my entire life, I was able to do well in school, you know, had good friends. I, I did well in, in my career. But the one part that I just kept failing at was matters of a heart. I was constantly heartbroken. And I think after my, my serious relationship where I, I thought I was living the dream. And to me, back then, living the dream was date, get married, have kids and live happily forever after. And we talked about it. Like when we would have kids, I would eventually not work and I would write on the side for fun. Like it was all set my whole future. And then that relationship fell apart because of infidelity. And Mm. in one moment, my entire life just came crashing down. And I I spiraled into depression. I stopped eating, um, panic attacks. I had thoughts of suicide. And I just felt so much shame because I was always a high achiever. And so I couldn't understand why I couldn't make this go away. Yeah. So I just spiraled in a dark place. And I think it was that moment where I was actually in my bathtub after a panic attack. And I was like trying to think of like, how could I pull off a suicide without traumatizing the person who would find my body? Mm. And I was just like going through logistics. Like, well, if the housekeeper finds me, like, that's not fair. She doesn't even know me. Like, oh, my friend who lent me her place, you know, I can't do that. And I honestly, I couldn't figure Mm. it out. And so, you know, I cried myself to sleep. And the next morning I'm like, I have hit rock bottom and I have a choice to make. I'm either going to keep spiraling out of control or I'm going to fight. And I decided to fight. And um, I kind of use this energy to really like, what am I going to do to get back up? And, you know, it took me a while because even though, you know, the intensity of emotion started to subside, I was, my heart was closed for business. I was resentful for like, you know, two and a half years. And, um, you know, once I kind of got through to the other side, I just realized like how many people are out there that might not have friends that lend them their apartments and make sure that they eat. I think there's a lot of people. And I, when I looked at the people who are writing into me because of my, my relationship columns, they were all feeling the same thing, like feeling like they've gone crazy and helpless and hopeless. And I know like when you're in such a dark spot, you're only a few decisions away from doing something completely destructive. Mm-hmm. So I said, I'm like, I got to create something for these people. And that's what inspired the idea of creating um, an actual breakup boot camp where you go to not only heal, but like learn what are the patterns so that you don't just get into the same type of relationship again and again. Mm. Yeah. Infidelity. I mean, I've been on both sides actually. And I'm just curious, like how you began to to heal, to kind of, do, do you try to make sense of it? Is that the route you go? Because I know a lot of people um, are in that grieving stage and probably feel like they can't get out of it and are, are holding on to that resentment. Like, where did you start? Yeah, I think in the very beginning, I I played detective. I was like a CIA agent. Oh and I was God. trying to put Been together there. the my whole life. That was, dude, years of my life. I literally, I be, like, knew more about this person that I my partner cheated on me with than like any of my friends. I was like, yeah. yeah, she loves salmon on the weekends. She likes to fish sometimes with her dad. Like you, it's 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 actually insane how much space in your brain they take up. 
Yeah. I mean, and like, that's a way of channeling the pain. Right. And I think that in Mm. the beginning I thought, oh, okay. If I could figure out why, if I could put these pieces together, then I would get closure. Mm -hmm. Um, but that, you know, chasing something external to get closure, you're never going to get that closure because it actually ultimately has to come from within. And I think it's, um, common to kind of turn it into like a thinking thing. Like you, instead of feeling the pain and feeling the emotions and accepting where you're at without judgment, it's like, okay, I'm going to react to the pain by actually just, you know, going into my brain about it. And, um, you know, after a while, like it just, that wasn't helping me. And it really was a process of, um, letting go and accepting the reality of the situation and that it didn't matter what clues I put together or revenge ideas I had, that wasn't going to make the pain go away. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The revenge ideas is like a really interesting use of time. (laughs) How much, you know, like I would just fantasize. Okay. So if I see her I'm going to say this. She's going to say this. I'm going to be wearing this. And then he's going to walk in. And like you, your whole brain and your whole day is these like ridiculous scenarios. You replay what had happened. You know, it's, you really lose yourself. Like I really have lost my mind for many years. Honestly, lost my damn mind for many years. So much wasted time in that total cycle of, um, thought rather than feeling, you know, really not allowing myself to feel. And I think a lot of people can really relate to that. With, you know, your healing and what was going on, did you feel like you had, your friends were really supportive of you, but do you feel like you had like a therapist? Like what was, uh, what else were you starting to leverage and understand as support? Yeah, so- Ultimately, you know, there was some friends that kind of got sick of my grieving and I don't blame them. They were well-intentioned, but they didn't know how to hold space for someone like me going through that. And I would hear like, just get over it. And I swear, like, that's like a dagger through your heart, especially when you're a high achiever. Hearing that makes you feel so stupid. And so I tried everything. I went to therapy. I went to psychologists, uh, Reiki masters. I probably saw a hundred psychics. <laughs> you know, psychic As you do. You, you go there until they tell you you're going to get back together. Yeah. You're, you're like, like where's the psychic who's like, he's going to regret it. He's coming back. And yes. that girl that he cheated on you uh, with is done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You just want to hear what like you want to hear the storyline that you have. Yes. And, you know, I even did the yoga retreat and like, I found that, yeah, I would go away on these yoga retreats. And during that time I would feel, you know, some, somewhat okay, but I would come back to the same demons. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think that I was doing all these things and I would get to parts where I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm over it. Independent women hear me roar. And then I would get triggered. Mm -hmm. Like eight months in, I would find out he was dating someone and Mm -hmm. she was this beautiful, skinny blonde girl Mm -hmm. who was also a part-time model. And Mm -hmm. like, Oh Oh my my gosh. gosh. Back in fetal position on the floor crying. And then another sense of shame is like, Oh my God, everything I've tried to do to heal it's, it's for nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I think it was important for me to understand now in retrospect, like it's the overall trend line and it's totally normal to go through relapses. And Mm -hmm. I think that when you go through those relapses, you recognize you have choices to make. And that's how you actually learn and you actually grow. Mm -hmm. You keep mentioning that you're a high achiever. And (laughs) I, I loved the part in the book where you talk about who's running your company because we are so good at 
you know, having it together and having standards and having strategies around our career and businesses and that part of our lives. But there have been so many times where I'm like, damn, especially I was single for six years. And I'm like, wow, if people only knew that I really didn't have it together in this area of my life and I kept choosing, you know, the quote unquote wrong people, they might think differently (laughs) about me. So um, I would love to talk about that and just the, the contrast there and perhaps why that is. Yeah. I mean, when I look at the root of why I became a high achiever. And most of the people that I work with at Breakup Bootcamp are high achieving people. And, you know, for me, it came from a root belief of I'm not enough. Uh, as a young kid, I am the, I'm the daughter of immigrant parents. My father was an entrepreneur. He wasn't really around. And the only time I got attention was when I got good grades Mm -hmm. and he would give me money. And so at a very young age, I learned like, Oh, okay. You earn love when you do good. I get this, right? But then you grow up and you forget why you, you've kind of created these coping mechanisms, but that was, you know, high achieving being perfect was really a, a way of coping with the love that I didn't feel like I had. Um, and so unpacking that as an adult really helped me that, yeah, the root belief is I'm not enough. And that's why I overgive. That's why I edit myself to try to be loved. Um, and that was kind of a starting point for me to really work on my healing because, you know, when I went through that breakup, uh, it was really easy for me to just blame him and the situation, but it was really just a bandaid being ripped off. And I had to deal with all of that trauma, all of that heartache, starting with the one with my father that I just never dealt with. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is a huge, you know, part of healing is really going back and, and sort of looking at that. Just before we go into that more about, you know, how your family relationship and your dad's dynamic with you um, impacted you, I just want to like expand upon something you said, which is like edit myself for love. And I think a lot of people do this and I can relate to doing this. And can you explain a little bit more, but when you're a little bit more about what you're talking about when you're saying you edit yourself to receive love? Yeah, I had the idea that if I was perfect, then someone would like me enough to commit to me. And so I Mm. would always just obsess over my hair, my makeup, lashes done all the Mm -hmm. time. And, um, and I kind of played this part that I thought they would like. And to me, you know, there was a stage where I was like, okay, I'm going to be like the fun, hot Asian fantasy. Mm. And like, even like sexually, I was performing versus just being in the moment. And, um, I just had these ideas of how I needed to be in order to keep love. And Mm. it didn't work because, you know, I think you can only fake behavior and fake confidence for so long. And people can ultimately sense your energy, whether they're cognitive of it or not. And, you know, person after person, uh, I would be able to attract them and then eventually it would just fizzle out and they would lose interest in me. Mm. Because it was like hard probably for you to keep up that act all the time, you know, and, and that sort of Mm. persona, you know, when it really comes down to it. Um, So when you're talking about, you know, the relationship with your dad and sort of how you received love was through by being perfect, by being good, and then you received money and attention. For people that are trying to really look at their past and their family's relationship and see how that's playing out in their current relationships, what do you suggest that they do? And what are some common patterns you see people having? 
Yeah, I think, you know, a good starting point is to journal and and use the prompt like, who did I have to be for my father? Who did I have to be for my mother? Mm. Right? Like sometimes in growing up, um, maybe there was a death in the family and you had to, instead of being a five-year-old kid, suddenly you're the therapist to your mom, right? Or you have to suddenly be, you're the oldest sibling. So now you have to take care of the entire family and you don't get to be a child. And that actually, you know, they've shown research that shows what that tends to do is cause people to have more of an avoidant attachment style growing Mm. up and feel smothered by love and really afraid of intimacy that it's going to take away their independence. Mm. And so I think, you know, what's important is look at the last three people that you were dating or had a romantic connection with and identify what were the main feelings and then circle them. And it doesn't mean that they're all negative, um, but see what are the patterns because the emotional experience is likely going to repeat unless you figure out the root of that wound. And I think that gives you a starting point. So I never thought I had any patterns. I was like, oh yeah, like, you know, in my twenties, I just, you know, dated DJs and club owners. I was like, pick me, pick me. (laughs) And then in my thirties, I was like, oh no, like, you know, tech CEOs. And, you know, I was always fifth on the priority list. I was always like trying to convince them to commit to me or give me more attention. I was like, oh yeah, no pattern. But when I actually looked at it and I wrote it down, like, oh, this is exactly the dynamic I had growing up and my relationship with my father. Mm. Wow. Did you have like, as a part of that, you know, recognition and healing, did you have a, have a conversation with your father or like, how did you begin? Was it just the awareness that kind of like, open that up and you were able to, you know, no longer, you know, perpetuate those cycles or what is, what did that look like? Cause I think there's part of me that's like, I kind of want to tell my dad and my mom, like <laughs> how they're affecting me right now. <laughs> right. I think I, I, I came to the conclusion that my father wouldn't give me that sense of peace mm. and hoping for him to change or recognize or apologize. Uh, maybe that, would have helped, but I wasn't going to get it. So again, it was coming back to reality and what, you know, cards that I had to deal with, whether instead of like fantasizing that maybe he would be different and maybe with age, he'll finally recognize. I mean, to this day, he has no idea. He thinks he's been an amazing dad to me. You know, he hasn't read my book. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Surprise dad. Um, So yeah, that was something I really had to get to a place of forgiveness and compassion because I thought about my dad. I'm like, how did he grow up? Mm-hmm. He grew up in, in China and Hong Kong. His, his father had two wives. Um, there was abuse in the family. Mm-hmm. He didn't learn how to love. And so when I think of it that way, like what happened to you as a child mm-hmm. for you to grow up and be so cold and so cut off by emotions? Like something really bad must have happened to you, right? Mm -hmm. Because hurt people hurt people and heal people heal people. And I think when I look at it in that light, I just, I just accept like you were trying the best you could. And even when I look back at my ex, I'm like, you tried the best you could. I tried the best that I could at that time. Um, And I think that gives me some solace because I I accept the reality versus trying to wish it to be different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You mentioned earlier about wanting people to commit to you. And I just find that to be 
just such a common theme in women in our community that I've talked to where they're just, they're wanting so badly to feel that peace and that connection and that safety. So I'd love to talk about, you know, the difference between men and women. And by the way, you know, there are people in our community that are in heterosexual relationships, homosexual relationships. But I I do think that it's really important that we understand the biology of men and women when it comes to commitment, when it comes to communication. And you spoke about like fight or flight when they're in conflict. So I'd love to just kind of unpack that a little bit. Yeah. So do you want to know about like how, like how they might react to breakups differently or conflict differently? Yeah. I'd love to start with commitment because I think that's like a really common theme that I'm hearing from women where they're like, I just, I want him to commit, but I'm either, I'm not sure how to ask or open up the conversation to commitment. Yeah. So I've interviewed a ton of people, uh, men and women, uh, single dating, coupled, married to find out like, is there a difference? And in what I've seen, and of course, I don't want to make sweeping statements about the different genders. Men uh, (laughs) know pretty soon if they want to commit to someone. Um, I've noticed that women might not start off thinking that they're even attracted to someone, but it can grow. That's just in what I've observed. And I'm also my own case study because I've seen someone and I'm like, oh, I have no attraction towards you. And like seven months down the road, I'm like, oh, wow. Like, okay, (laughs) what a good character. Like, oh my gosh, you did these sweet things. Yeah, I like you. Right. And on my wedding day, I thought, yes, maybe I am attracted to you. (laughs) Right. Yeah, but I have... To this day, I haven't really seen that ever happen with men. Um, Mm. I think it's a lot more rare. And so like I bring this up because I think sometimes we might get caught up in thinking, well, maybe they'll change their mind, right? Maybe more time will make them change their mind. And I actually asked my own boyfriend about this. I was like, okay, well, before me, you were perpetually single for like years and you casually dated people. What what was different? Why did you, you know, stay and want to, you know, pursue a relationship with me? And he was just saying, you know, when he was dating some of these women and it was more casual, like he would, he would know, right. Pretty early on. And he would say that, tell them. And he's like, if I'm not going to commit in the first few months, when the chemicals are the strongest and like you're in major lust. Like mm-hmm. why would I commit two, three, four years down the road? Mm-hmm. And I was like, you're right. Like mm-hmm. the beginning part is usually when it's the most chemically charged. It's like mother's nature is like giving you that momentum. Okay. And if someone isn't wanting to commit, I don't think that it's, uh, it's really healthy to just bank on them changing their mind or changing yourself so that they will eventually choose you. And I think men or women, I think that sometimes this idea of like, I just want to be chosen, right? Mm-hmm. If I'm just chosen and I just get committed to, I'll feel safe. Mm, you're not because the, the sense of feeling safe isn't something someone can give you. No job can give it to you. No guy, no girl. Uh, it can give you this temporary relief, but ultimately that kind of belief that you're not safe, it's going to pop back up. 
And then it's the next thing you're going to focus on. Well, only when I have kids, only when I have this, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, It just doesn't end. And so I really encourage people, look at that root belief and how can you start working on that and building that foundation? So it's not a matter of like, are you going to choose me? Are you going to commit to me? It's like, do I want to choose you? Mm-hmm. Do I want to commit to you? It's a completely shift and mm-hmm. reframe. And when I finally realized that, and I actually went through hypnotherapy that helped me come to that conclusion, it changed my dating outcomes. Mm. Do you think it helped change it because of like subconscious reprogramming too, where you were, wow, okay. Yeah. Wow. Totally. How long did yeah. you do that for? I actually, so... You know, I, I've done a lot of work on healing. I yeah. learned a lot on a cognitive level, but, you know, I just didn't feel like there was a glue that was bringing together mm-hmm. all the things I was learning. And I did one hypnotherapy session with Dr. Susan Spiegel Solovey, and I was actually testing it out for my retreats. So I went in skeptical, like I normally am, and I'm lying there. And she's like kind of putting me into a really meditative state. And the whole time I was rolling my eyes, I was like, this is bullshit. Like, this is not working. And then like, suddenly I found myself kind of in this memory and I was, I could hear what she was saying, but I was still like in this kind of scene and she uh, helped me recall a memory. I totally forgot. And I was, you know, a few years old and my mom and my sisters were joking about how they found me in a garbage can by the mall. And that's how I was born. And I remember now, like I Mm. remembered, I couldn't even speak. I would hide all the flyers of like baby flyers and stuff because they'd always make this joke. And I lodged this belief of like, oh, like I was found in a garbage can. Like I'm, you know, I wasn't even chosen. And that created Mm. this belief that I'm not chosen and I didn't remember it. And so she actually helped me, you know, go as an adult, sit with me as a three, four year old, talk to my mom, have an intervention. And we kind of changed, you know, the ending of it where, you know, I came out of it as like, I am a miracle baby. I was an act of love. I'm made out of love. And, you know, I went from bawling to like coming out, like smiling and as if like this big weight was off of my shoulders. And she's like, we, you know, there was just like this little pebble in this like river of, of your subconscious. And we just you know, clicked it away and like, see how things are now. And I noticed immediately after that, the people I was dating, it just changed. I didn't have this energy of like, pick me, like, are you going to choose me? I was like, I don't know. Like, do I want to be with you? I don't know. And it's crazy (laughs) because then they react to you. like, okay, come on, choose me. (laughs) Like you should see the hypnotherapist. I am Wow. I wish I, I I want to do hypnotherapy. I'm so I don't know why I'm so scared of it. There's something about me that's very scared of mm. being subconsciously vulnerable. Mm-hmm. You know, like being in that vulnerable state with someone. But um, I'm weird. Anyways, <laughs> we'll, we'll get, that probably needs to get to that later. But I want to talk about two attachment styles, mm. which is something you really go into that I don't think we've ever talked about on the podcast. But you know, we're we use it in just our normal life. So I'd love to talk about attachment styles and the types and um, how people can work with those. Yeah. So attachment theory is the concept that by the age of around two years old, we develop an attachment style, which will pretty much determine how we relate romantically as adults. 
And there's three different types. So they're secure, which is about 50% of the population. They're not afraid of intimacy. They're also not codependent. They're able to vocalize their needs and their boundaries. And when there's like a fight, they don't turn it into some big catastrophe. The next kind is avoidantly attached. These are people that generally as a young child, they might have been smothered. Um, they might have had a parent that lived vicariously through their achievements or really controlling parents. And they grow up uh, subconsciously suppressing their attachment system. So when someone gets a little bit too close, they will do what's called deactivating strategies and kind of push them away. Now, they can be in relationships. They could even be married. But the the thing is, they are, there's always kind of like an, like an arm's distance to getting too intimate or emotionally close. Um, and they might, you know, fantasize about this unicorn, right? They might date someone first three months is fine. And then they start noticing all these imperfections. Like, nope, you're just not the one. And they hold up for this idea of a unicorn that just doesn't exist. Or they get into relationships with an impossible future. Uh, long distance dating is really popular for the, these types of people. Um, and, you know, they tend to actually be more cut off from how they feel. They've done the, um, an experiment called the strange situation test. That's how they've really determined attachment styles. And they looked at how a child reacts when the mother leaves the room. So mm. those with an avoidant attachment style, they're pretty much aloof and the mother leaves the room. And it looks like they don't even care when the mother comes back in. But the interesting thing is they actually looked at the heart rate and the stress response of these toddlers. And they saw that they were had an increased um, heart rate. Uh, they were having a physical stress response, even though on the outside, it looked like they were perfectly fine. Mm. So avoidance are drawn to the next type of attachment style, which is anxious attachment style. And this used to be me. Um, people who have an anxious attachment style are fundamentally afraid they will be a rejected or abandoned. So the difference is avoidance or afraid intimacy will equal smothering and a loss of independence. Anxious is like intimacy, intimacy is going to cause abandonment. And what will happen is they're really sensitive to cues that the connection might be broken. And, you know, in the strange situation test, when the mother is in the room with the, with the toddler, before the mother even leaves the room, the child starts to show a stress response. They're almost anticipating that mother is going to leave. And when the mother leaves and then comes back, the toddler's freaking out. And even though it wants con like consoling from the mother, it's like throwing things and hitting and takes the longest to soothe. So they typically have a much more activated nervous system and they can get triggered. So um, they might, you know, text someone and they don't hear back for four hours. And so they might do what's called protest behavior, which is they're going to do something to try to get attention or punish them. So for me, uh, you know, someone didn't text me back in four hours. I'd be like, oh, screw you. I'll take four days, see how you like it. Mm -hmm. um, and I would punish them or, you know, I would hedge. I would like someone so much and I couldn't handle the anxiety. So to take the edge off, I would date three other people. Mm. And, you know, those who have an anxious attachment style tend to put a lot of their identity in their partner and their partner's validation of them. So they take breakups the hardest. And I would say 90% of the people I work with have an anxious attachment style. Mm. Mm. I hate thinking of those little studies with kids. Like, you know what? I know it's like data, but it just, I hate it. What it does makes that mean? Sad. Where, where the mom like 
gives a straight face oh after playing gosh. with them. I can't watch it. Oh my it. God, have I you heard of that one? It's, <laughs> the mom doesn't have any emotional response or reaction to the baby oh, when she's like much. feeding it and the baby's trying to do whatever it can to get her to emotionally respond to her. God, yeah. oh, I hate that. <laughs> I hate that stuff. It's just, yeah. let's do another way. Or I'm like, we're done. We got the data, we're done. <laughs> I so relate to formerly being anxious attachment. And I think, you know, when I... It was definitely a lot of work that I did, whether it was in therapy or we did a group therapy that was really profound. But then also when I met someone who was secure, it also brought out like the secure attachment in me (laughs) because it was like being mirrored to me and it was so grounded and peaceful Mm -hmm. and it was independent, but also very loving, you know? Right. So I do, I was attracted to avoidant people for a long time, a long, long, long time. Because when they would finally give me attention or say yes to dating me or validate me in any way, I'd be like, look at yeah. me. So yeah. yeah, there's such a difference there when you when you find someone who is secure. When I was, when I was single and I know Krista's talked about this too, making a list, you know, an ideal list of what you want in a partner. I think it can be a really beautiful tool, you know, just to kind of get very clear on what's important to you and what you're looking for in someone. I'm curious, like what your thoughts are. I know you talk about it in the book um, and maybe how we can reframe this, like making a manifestation list. Yeah. Uh, You know, I think that sometimes we get caught up in writing a list, whether it's in your head or on paper of, you know, they need to make this amount of money. They have to be, you know, in this profession or a height requirement. And I, I don't think that that's healthy because what it does is like, it makes you think that you have this kind of type, right? And what will happen is you might meet someone and they fit these things and then you ignore all of the other evidence that this person might not be the right fit for you because mm-hmm. you're like, oh my gosh, I've been waiting for this person and here you are. Mm-hmm. And I think it could really make us miss out on opportunities of meeting people who could be the right fit for you. They've done research that shows that the people that um, you actually end up with don't look like anything of that list, right? When you're writing that list, that's a very cognitive process. But when it comes to actual love, that's a heart process. It's a feeling process. So I think it's more important to maybe write down a list and visualize how do you want to feel? Um, and the packaging of, of how your partner is going to look like might be very different, but it's important that you feel that sense of peace mm-hmm. that you talked about, mm-hmm. that sense of calm. And I think, you know, when you don't know what healthy love is, especially if you didn't have a healthy model modeled for you growing up, you think that this anxiety or this up and down or intensity, especially when you're, you know, reading fairy tales and watching all these movies, you think, oh, that's love, but that's not love. Love is actually calm. It might be even boring sometimes, but it's not this thing that keeps you guessing all the time. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's so true and powerful. And um, yeah, it's it's such an interesting perspective because I know so many people are list makers and are list lovers and I've had lists and I've had, I've not had lists, um, but I haven't dated in a long time. But when I did have a list, it was something that I was really adhering to. And I love the point about you'll miss at times some of the things 
that might be glaring, you know, glaring for you. I, what I loved about the book too is, is the perspective on like your brain and what's actually happen, happening chemically in your brain when you're going through a breakup. So I'd love to talk a little bit about like what's happening in the brain. Yeah, they've actually done studies um, scanning the brain after a separation. And what they found was the part of the brain that's activated is the same part of the brain as a drug user fiending for their next fix. So you're literally in withdrawal. Um, something to understand is when you're with someone, you have neural pathways that have been wired together after a breakup or divorce, even though on a cognitive level, you know, it's over your body doesn't, it's in a state of shock and it's used to getting dopamine and all these feel good chemicals from this person. So after the separation, you're going to still crave it, but you have to consider your ex, like they're a drug dealer and you're feeding for a fix. And when you're craving, you know, rereading old text messages or, you know, checking their Instagram stories with your Finsta, that's really (laughs) not because they're awesome. It's because your brain's craving dopamine and it gets a hit. Even if you are, you know, see them, you know, drinking wine on the beach with some new hottie and you decide to call and berate them you are still getting a hit. You're getting a rush of endorphins. And, you know, sometimes we continue to hold on to the pain, rehash that story, um, check out their social media because that's our last way of trying to hold on to the relationship. But every time you do that, you're just strengthening those old neural pathways and you're not letting those neural pathways prune away. So the neural pathways, they're neural pathways that you've created together, you and your partner. So would they have mirroring neural pathways or like, what, what does that mean? So it means that, you know, like there, it's like, think of it like you have grooves in your brain, mm-hmm. right? You've, you've had breakfasts together, makeup sex together, all these things. Those are neural pathways. But when you don't feed them, so after a Got period it. of time, and this is why I tell people to completely detox from your ex, those neural pathways start to prune away. Mm-hmm. They're not as strong. But if you keep feeding them, you keep kind of deepening that groove in your brain. Wow. So that's why it's so important to then to, um, to like figure out how you can create new neural pathways. And that's why time is really so important because it really is like the lessening of those neural pathways and the ways in which we try and feed them. Yeah, it's it's interrupting that pattern. Yeah. So I think redirecting your focus into something that's more empowering to you. Um, and that's how you start, you know, when you get those cravings, when you get that withdrawal, this is completely normal. Yeah. And you have to almost plan for it. So the next time, oh my gosh, you're craving, no, like, oh, you know, this is my brain wanting dopamine. It's trying to get that fixed from my drug dealer. I'm not going to go there. I'm, I'm instead going to do a state change. I'm going to play up my, you know, Beyonce playlist and I'm going to dance it out. Or I'm going to call my friends who like totally love me. Mm-hmm. And as you keep doing that, you train yourself to, you know, you, you create new neural pathways and you start strengthening those. And those old ones will automatically start to weaken. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I can imagine people who are either in a relationship or not during a time when we're not able to socialize as normal, all the things this last year, that it's kind of an easy thing to just go into that autopilot to do what you've subconsciously always done and believed, Um, especially when it comes to sex or even self-pleasure. And I loved when you talked about this in the book, just talking about the, the challenges and, um, and really taking it into your own hands. 
Because I think especially when you're in a relationship or maybe a new relationship, you depend so much on the other to either meet your needs or guess what you like or impress you in that way. And I just loved how you said you are responsible for your own turn-ons and just empowering people to be that like initiator and really take control in that way. Can we talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. I, you know, I don't think that many of us had like real sex education growing up. I know Mm -hmm. I didn't, my parents would never talk about it. Um, and you know, you might learn through porn or through what your friends say. And I think there's this common idea that it's your partner's job to, you know, make you feel sexy and make you feel these things and make you ultimately feel turned on. But, um, you know, working with different sex educators and like a dominatrix and a tantra teacher, um, I've really learned the more empowering way to approach sexuality is have your own sexual practice, you know, be responsible for your own turn on. What are you doing to nurture and love your own body? Are you taking a few moments, you know, in your day, like maybe in the daytime or after you shower where you actually cherish your body and you're, you know, you're in touch with your body, but so often we actually get disassociated from our body. Right. And so how, whether you're single or your couple have your own sexual practice and then have a sexual practice with your partner. But just because, you know, maybe, your your partner's stressed because of the pandemic or whatever's going on and maybe they're not you know asexual instead of being like oh my gosh like i'm not sexy like this sucks oh my god this is the end of our relationship continue doing your own sexual practice and i know that for me in those times where i'm like oh like why can't he be more romantic or why can't he you know initiate more or make me feel sexy i'm like well Am I doing that for myself right now? I'm, mm-hmm. I'm wearing sweatpants every day. I'm not taking care of myself. <laughs> I've stopped meditating. Like, I don't even want to be around myself. Like, what can I do so that I can like feel empowered to shift my own energy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the truest. Yeah, <laughs> that's like, I think where we're, I was at Summit a few years ago and Esther Perel was speaking about infidelity and really how when someone is... Um, unfaithful, it's really because they're looking for something in themselves that they're not finding. So it's like, they're not feeling sexy. They're not feeling confident. They're not feeling worthy. And they're really looking for other ways to feel more of that from someone else. So it's never the other person. It's never like, you're not enough. You're not beautiful enough. You're not all these things. It's really that like, they're not satisfied with their own feeling of sexualness, feeling of confidence, feeling of security, whatever. So they're trying to seek it in other people. For the... I really love too about um, the spiritual aspects of it. And I'd love to talk a little bit about that with breakups. You know, we have a very spiritual, curious community. They're very about their spiritual evolution and spiritual journey. And I know that when you break up with someone, it can be a very spiritual experience in a traumatic way and in a awakening way and in so many different ways. What have been maybe some spiritual practices that you've done to help in healing or that you've seen some of the women in your community do to help them heal breakups? Yeah, I, one of the you know the peak moment of the actual physical breakup bootcamp retreat is um, Saturday night where we all write a letter of letting go. You know, I think rites of passage is very important. You see it in so many different cultures, but in North America, we don't really have a lot of rites of passage. And mm. you know, after a breakup or separation, this is a major kind of milestone in your life. It's a life pivot, and so I think it's important that we honor and respect the relationship. We're 
regardless of how it ended. And we really create finality of that chapter so that we can create the space and opening for this next chapter. And what we do is um, we all together, we write a letter. And in that letter, there's prompts. The very first is what are the facts of what happened, right? Sometimes we get so caught up in the interpretations, right? You know, this always happens to me, you know, all, you know, people are narcissists, whatever it is. And that really turns a story into like a much bigger emotional monster. Um, but here are the facts and here's where I was accountable, right? Because it always takes two mm -hmm. people. And then how did you feel and how do you feel? And what are you going to let go? What have you learned throughout this entire experience? Um, and what's changed for you? Like, is it a perspective? Like for me, I moved out of my, my hometown and like started a new life. Like what are the things that you could be grateful for? And, and lastly, like you write, this is what I forgive and I accept. And together we all go outside and there's a big bonfire and we witness each other burning that letter. And it is such a powerful moment. And, you know, I, I'm so all about the science of things, but I, I know how this is like a major turning point for someone because to write it down, to watch it burn, to be witnessed, you know, in a community of sisters in this process to really just give respect to it and, and have this rite of passage to, you know, help you move into the next chapter, I think is so important and so necessary. Yeah, I love that point of witnessing. Um, we've experienced that within our community and just how powerful it can be to be among each other, um, holding space for one another, supporting, and also just reflecting back like the, the incredible power in committing to your growth you know, sometimes growing can feel so lonely. Mm -hmm. You know, self-development can feel so lonely. And so to have that sisterhood around you to be like, you're doing really great. And it's yeah. actually inspiring me. You know, yeah. you're not only inspiring when you're in your power, but you're also inspiring when you're growing. So I really, I really love that. Do you believe in soulmates? No, absolutely not. Mm -hmm. I used to, I swear if I did, like I've had like 112 soulmates, the ones, <laughs> right? Every single guy was like, oh my God, this you're the one. Like oh this one's so different. I would tell I my sister, that. this one's so different. No, 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 not like that one. <laughs> and um, I just was so caught up in this fantasy yeah. of like what I absorbed growing up that I kind of absorbed these messages of fairy tale, the Mr. Big story. Mm -hmm. Like that was, I'm like, I'm going to find my Mr. Big. Like, yeah, this avoidant guy who's successful, yes. I'm going to change his mind. And I like he's going to commit to me. I was an Aiden girl through and through. Mr. Yes. Big. I literally have never seen the last episode of Sex and the City. Oh, I've never watched it all the way through. Really? Got yeah. Aiden for life. <laughs> yeah. And so like, I, I think that I now um, have a much more, my palate much prefers reality over mm -hmm. fantasy. Mm -hmm. I feel yeah. That. Yeah. It is interesting. We have, I have, people in my life that are very like, okay, this one's it, you know, a day and this one's it. Like this is the one. And <laughs> it is, it's a hard life to be, to be in that and be continually disappointed, but you always want to keep an open heart at the same time. So it's <laughs> such a balance. Last question from me. So when people are at the the boot camp, what is sort of the process that they're taken through? Maybe with some highlights that some of the women that are potentially going through breakups listening to this could apply to their life today. Yeah. So, um, the, 
you know, they're in programming from 8.30 in the morning till about 10 o'clock at night. It's Whoa. pretty intensive. And there's 13 different experts. But the very first day is really on processing the emotions. So we have an anxiety coach, Trish, who teaches on like, what do you feel when you feel that anxiety? And a quick hack for anyone listening, whether you're in a breakup or not, when you start to feel it and, you know, maybe your t- your chest starts to, to tighten, um, understand like your, your nervous system is preparing yourself for fight fight or flight. Mm -hmm. And if you actually look at gazelles, for example, in the wild, when they actually see a predator, they completely freeze. And when they realize that they're actually not going to die, they completely shake their body from head to toe. And then they kind of gallop on like nothing has happened. Human beings are exactly the same thing. When we sense like, oh my gosh, I'm in danger, whether you saw, you know, a photo on Instagram or you got that bad text message, you're being flooded with adrenaline and your body needs to expel that adrenaline. So put on a timer for two minutes and shake your body from head to toe. This will allow you to have that adrenaline and cortisol move through your body. After that, you then want to go into deep breathing. And the key is to make your exhales longer than your inhales, this will then calm your nervous system down. Um, So that's a great hack. And um, so, you know, Friday is really about how do we manage the emotions? How do we not play hot potato with our emotions? Because Mm -hmm. when we feel pain, we can get reactive. And to get rid of that pain, we're like, oh, you know, I'm going to do something to kind of play hot potato and throw you know, this hot potato at someone else or something else, but that only worsens the situation. So we teach people, do not feed your emotional monster. You know, when you feel an emotion, the life cycle of an emotion is 120 seconds. Anything longer than that is a story you attach to the, to that emotion, mm. right? So you feel, you know, lonely, but then you start to think, well, I'm going to be alone forever. You know, I gave this person the best years of my life. And then suddenly that emotion gets bigger and bigger. And then you play Coldplay, fix you on repeat. And then you watch Love Actually. You're like, oh my God, I'm never going to love like this. And then you're like a total mess. So don't do emotional cutting and realize when you are checking Mm -hmm. their Instagram, when you're doing these things that you know are going to hurt you, you're emotionally cutting. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the next day is really, we focus on what are the subconscious beliefs and patterns that are happening and how can we shift that? And I think for anyone out there listening, think about what is it that, what is your root belief? Is it I'm not enough? Is it I'm not worthy of love? And the idea is you don't just go to the opposite, right? For me, um, I can't go from I'm not enough to like, you know, I'm the most worthy person in the world. Your brain will reject what it inherently thinks is not true. So you want to ask yourself, is this belief a hundred percent true a hundred percent of the time? And the answer is probably no. It's important that you come up with a conclusion that you realize that that belief is not true. And then you ask yourself, what is a more helpful belief that's a little bit more true? And that might mean, okay, then, you know, there's a ladder of beliefs. The next rung up would be, well, I am, there are some people that see me for who I am and accept me, right? I went from, I'm not enough to, there are some people that see me for who I am and accept me. Is that true? 
Yeah. Is it more helpful? Yeah. And then you put that on your screensaver, your post-it notes. That's the mantra you repeat and you look for evidence that confirms that belief. And kind of once you get comfortable there, then you can go up another rung, but it happens degree by degree. It's important that you don't go from zero to a hundred. And then, you know, the next day, the Sunday is like the really fun, juicy day. We bring in the dominatrix, sex educators, and we really help people like, you know, relearn their ideas of sexuality and allow these different parts of themselves have a seat at the table um, instead of having to appear this perfect way of what they were told they had to be growing up. Like, how do you voice your boundaries? How do you ask for what you want in bed? And it's a super empowering time. And we end off writing a letter a year from now today as if we're actually living through it. What's your perfect morning? What do you do when you wake up? What do you see? What do you feel? What do you hear? And you write it all out and you experience it. And Mm. I kid you not, a year later, we're all in a WhatsApp group. It's amazing Mm. how much of that comes true because so often we are so stuck in the confines of these restrictions we put on ourselves. But dare to imagine, I think that's a very first step of creating, you know, the life that you want. Mm. I want to go to this retreat. I know I'm in. <laughs> Jeez, I'm in a relationship. I'm like, I'll infiltrate mm. it. <laughs> Maybe we should break up for a week. I know, wow, so powerful. <gasps> so, so powerful. Last question for me. I know you're in a relationship now. I'm curious like what you're the most proud of within that relationship dynamic that you practice on the regular in contrast to kind of where you came from. Yeah. Um, you know, in the very beginning, so first of all, I, someone tried to set us up and I said, no. Uh, and a year later I I matched with him on a dating app. So it goes to show how we can think I have a type and I was like, I want a relationship, but I was like saying no to people. Mm. Um, I, I think in the very beginning, I still had some of my old dating habits. He was you know, very clear that he was interested in, in, you know, developing a connection and going down the route of relationship with me. And I remember in like week two, week three, I was like, well, maybe I should just check the messages of my dating app, you know, just to check. And I just stopped. I was like, don't, what, why, why would you punish this person for showing up and behaving so beautifully? Like this is an old Aww. habit and it's self-sabotaging. Mm. And so I didn't, I deleted the apps and, um, it really, like, I decided to jump in with two feet. Um, and this took some time. In the beginning, I was still, like, a little bit jaded. And um, I I decided, I'm like, I can love with an open heart because I know that even if I love fully, truly, deeply and I get hurt or it doesn't work out according to plan, I'm going to be okay. Like, I will not break. There's no one who can break me. And I think when you come from a place of knowing that you're resilient and that you are inherently safe, you can love differently. You can love unafraid. And, you know, this is a really different relationship. I, I never knew before that love is peaceful. It's knowing that this person has my back and, um, working through the things and communicating and, and just like, you know, building that skill of communication and learning like, oh, okay, these are his triggers. Like, this is how I'm going to approach this in this conversation. Um, you know, and it's, it's a constant journey. It's a constant practice, but I really believe in proactively um, nurturing the relationship versus waiting for a problem to happen. And then you react to them. Mm. Amen. Powerful. Amen. That's beautiful. Congratulations. Yeah, truly. I was thinking about your Instagram name, Miss Amy Mm -hmm. Chan. I'm like, oh, I wonder what happens. 
down the line. <laughs> I know She's what no I love that too. I'm like, uh, I'm branding myself as a single girl yes, for a long time. Exactly. Mrs. Amy. I was like, oh, you better secure the other one. Um, this was such a pleasure. I'm so grateful that you were able to come on today. And I think this was just so helpful even for mm. Lindsay and I to understand things yeah. and then for our community as well. So I really want to just thank you. Um, I'd love for us to tell everyone where to get the book and then where to find you. Yeah. So um, my book, Breakup Bootcamp, The Science of Rewiring Your Heart, it's available on Amazon and at all bookstores. And you can find me on renewbreakupbootcamp.com and on Instagram at Miss Amy Chen. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Thank you awesome. so, so much. 